the subtext, what's under the lines, what's really going on with you, what's the relationship to another character. And so you really have to get specific. I think specific is one of the most important things. Script analysis, being um, specific, having that moment before, knowing what you went through to drive yourself into that scene. Welcome to Best in Fest. I'm Leslie Lapage, the director of the La Femme International Film Festival, and this is a podcast for people who are interested in advancing their career in TV and film and learning all the dirty little secrets of Hollywood, the tricks of the trade from these expert uh, guests that I have had on for months and months and months. Uh, today's guest is Ellen Gerstein, and she is Awesome. She is a director, writer, actor. Uh, she started off as an actor, but, you know, in the world of professionalism with women in entertainment, you have to become a hybrid. So as an actor, she's worked with Martin Scorsese, Mark Rydell, Mimi Leader, Rob Marshall, and she is also as I said, a director-writer. So she uh, adapted and directed and also acted in Come Away With Me, which is an internationally award-winning short film about this interracial couple waiting for Ronald, which, which she wrote and directed another international award-winning short about a developmentally disabled man and his new life. Just South of Normal is a half-an-hour drama series created and written by her, and it's in development. We'll talk about that, too, which is super exciting. You can see her on the effects show Better Things and on the morning show on Apple Plus TV. Welcome, Ellen. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Thank you, Leslie. You're welcome. I'm doing well. <laughs> Let, okay, let's start off with... Um, Okay, you got into this industry as an actor, right? And and I you were did. in the actor's studio, which for those that are listening in that don't know who these who that is, the actor's studio, uh, Lee Strasberg, Stella Adler, Milton Katselis were these iconic acting coaches that ran these acting studios. And uh, Ellen was lucky enough to, to be in this uh, the actor's studio, which was amazing, I'm sure, we could do a whole podcast just on that experience. Right. But you started off as an actor here. And, and what was your what was your first role in, in the industry? How'd you get like? First, I was a social worker in New York for six years. And then I decided I will be an actress. And I studied with Lee Strasberg. And the first, uh, sh the first thing I ever did was a film called Jokes Your Folks Never Told You. And they had some little dirty jokes, but I was a teacher. So I told my mother it was all about teaching. And um, that was the film, but I got my SAG card with that. So that was great. While you were there, you learned the techniques of acting. You know, how, you know, from the beginning first job that you got to all the the rest of the wonderful credits that you've accumulated, you know, so far, how has your your approach to acting, approach to roles developed into? Like, what is the first thing you do, second thing you do when you're trying to craft you into the role character that you've been hired to do? I think the first thing you do is to truly understand the material. And that's called script analysis. 
I studied acting with Strasberg, Lee Strasberg. I studied script analysis with Stella Adler. She had the best, best seminars in that. Because if you don't really know every beat, every color, every transition of the script, then you might be doing great work, but it might have nothing to do with the script. So that was, uh, I love uh, a script analysis. And so I studied that. And then I studied, there's so much to study uh, when you're doing a part, when you're doing a character, uh, the background that they may not give you. But you, as the actor, has to uh, create a background, create a moment before that drives you into the scene, um, create substitutions so that it's personal, so that you can use things from your own life. I like to do that uh, because it makes it more personal, it makes it more specific, and uh, so I love doing that. The substitution really works. And like I say, the moment before, the subtext, what's under the lines, what's really going on with you, what's the relationship to another character. And so you really have to get specific. I think specific is one of the most important things. Script analysis, being um, specific, having that moment before, knowing what you went through to drive yourself into that scene. Very important. And your relationships to everyone you're talking with. And I don't think you can do your work unless you have, a, 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 like I say, a substitute for who you're talking to, what you're talking about, and uh, to make it more personal. So I'm really from the make it more personal. Some people do a lot of the imagination. Nothing wrong with that. That's excellent. I do it more personal from my own life. You taught, you mentioned substitute for people that are listening in that, you know, I studied with Lee Strasberg. I studied with Stella. I studied with Milton. So I, I understand what you're talking about, but some of the people listening in may not. Can you define that, that word for us? Yeah. The substitution. If I'm, let, okay, let's say I'm doing a scene uh, with um, my daughter. Well, I don't have a daughter, but I'm going to substitute that daughter for somebody that I feel for in that manner, like a daughter, unless I can work off that person that I'm working with. If you don't need to bring something in, then don't. But I think it makes it much more personal if you have a real substitution. And I'll tell you something, I'm very much into animals and I've had so many dogs that I love so much. And so a lot of the times I'll be using different dogs. Now you don't know what I'm using because you're not in my head, but you'll know if I don't have anything that's personal because it'll look general and that's not good enough. Right, right. And, and you know, people's love of their animals are, you know, like a, like a love of human beings. So that feeling can cross over when you choose to use that. So as this is carved up and, and, and personal, you know, you've had a lot of experience working with these iconic uh, directors. Is there a difference when you are, you know, bringing something to the set? How much are they allowing you to run with that, those choices? Uh, what has it been like when you've worked with these iconic directors as opposed to a, a youthful maybe not as trained, yeah, filmmaker. I have found, which which is terrific, I have found if you do your homework and you make strong choices, nothing general because that's not going to do it, but you make specific strong choices and you come in with that, 
I tell you, I've never had somebody tell me I can't do that. They are so happy that I've brought something in and that they love it, that that's it. I mean, I have really had the best time with every director because they allow me to just bring it in. And they happen to like what I do. I did a series called um, uh, uh, Loon, Hotel Daloon. And it was adorable. It was so sweet. The director was wonderful. And she would sit back and say, show me what you brought in. I love it. I know. So, and how great is that? Come on. That's awesome. Yeah. And the same thing with Mark Rydell. The same thing with um, Rob. Uh, same thing with him. They just let me go. But if you don't have, if you haven't done your homework and you're not making strong choices, I guess they're going to talk to you about some type of choice, you know, so, but I just love it. And I've had a wonderful time and they just, I've never had a problem. That's awesome. I know. <laughs> so, so, you know, we talk about being a hybrid, uh, you know, in the industry and, and that you just, you know, you just can't be one thing anymore within the industry, especially as a woman, especially as a woman over the age of, 30. Ageism is still alive and well in Hollywood. Thank you very much. When you're yeah. being a hybrid, uh, you have now started moving into writing, into directing. So how does your the acting characterization, how did that translate into your writing? Did you take writing courses? Did it come more naturally to you? You know, how, how did that develop? Well, I right now I'm writing two different uh, features. And I do have that uh, just south of normal, the half-hour dramedy. So I've been writing now for a while. But I want it to be the best it can be. So, of course, I take classes, writing classes. I also uh, have a writing coach. So after I do a couple of drafts, then I want the coach to help me refine it and have it the best it can be, like I said, or else why do it? I like it like that because... Uh, they tell you some things that you might not know and you might have to go uh, an, a year of, of trying to learn that. But the coach sits down, makes notes. You do the work on all the notes, bring them in, and then see how it sips into the feature. And it's just better for me to have a coach. And so, you know, I have to, Leslie, you'll probably know this. I, I belong to Greenlight Women that are all women that are still working in the industry over 40. And it's a fabulous, fabulous organization. You'll have to tell us what the uh, how to get to them after this. Yes, and uh, I think you would you would love them, and they would love you. But the point is, uh, when years ago, when you were an actor, you just did acting. You did not do anything else. They didn't want to see anything from you. Forget it. You're an actor. That's it. But now everything's changed, which is fabulous. You can write, you can direct, you can act. And I think my acting has helped me so much writing characters and absolutely, and also directing. I work really well with actors. And so, uh, and they know that, that I know what I'm talking about. And uh, yeah, and so I think it's so fabulous now to, to do more than one thing. And if you want to, just do it. You know, just do it. And because uh, one thing leads to another, and the more you do it, the better you get. 
the more directing, the better you get. The last short I did come away with me, I did with Charlie Robinson, who who was a regular on Night Court for years. You probably know that. Uh, anyway, he was t- terrific, and we worked exactly alike because we're both uh, belong to the actor's studio. So we had the same way. So it was perfect. And I had to direct myself because I was in it. But I, I didn't find a problem with that. Uh, it was okay. So I think it's 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 good. And I don't think one should be afraid. If they don't, if they want to do something, I think they should learn and do it, you know, and not stand in their own way because they don't know how. Everybody had to start, you know, somewhere, right? Sure. Yeah. They've got to take that first step of a leap of faith, so to speak, and start moving. So when you are writing something, I want to talk about the series too, but when you're writing something, what's your process? Because preparing for a role for an, as an actor is totally different than, you know, writing something. What is your step-by-step? What's the first thing you do? Second thing you do, you know, as you're expanding your, this writing thing? First of all, I, I write what I know. I, I, I've always written something from my life because uh, that's what I know. Uh, that's number one. Number two, I think that an outline is so important that you can get so lost without one. And I think you have to uh, work on the outline for quite a while till you get it right. And a great thing to do is um, once you do the outline, you get little index cards <laughs> and you put them up different scenes because you might see that Oh, you need this scene over here now. It works better here. So it's a wonderful thing to do that on a bulletin board with your your cards because then you can move it around. You know, uh, that's how I learned how to write. And 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 all the index card were color coded for A storyline, B storyline, C storyline, and then you'd put it up on the wall and you'd have an entire wall of index cards and and you'd go, "Wait a second. I'm I'm too A storyline heavy here. I have to like move it around. I have to interject." But, you know, they don't do old school like that anymore in, in, in writing classes, which I think is for those that are visual, it really helps to see it on an entire wall. Absolutely. Plus, like you said, if you have all orange and just a little bit of green, you know, you need more green, kill some of the orange. And so That's right. That's right. And you then start, you know, playing with the color scheme of your storylines. Okay. So once you have your outline kind of chiseled down, you've reorganized your storylines, you know, then what do you do? You just jump right in. What's your process? With the outline, then I take one of the pieces of the outline and then I start writing scenes that would go with that. And then I go to the next one and write scenes that will go with that. And then on and on and on with scenes that go with that. And then you have all these scenes written, but it follows your outline. So you know where you're going. You're not like lost. And then, uh, then you have to see what you have and what works and what drives the story forward. You know that. Uh, if it doesn't, if you love it, but it doesn't drive it forward, you've got to kill it. <laughs> okay. So, so now you've got this whole thing fleshed out. You've kicked it over to your act to, to your writing coach and they've tweaked it, fixed it. Okay. So you've now, uh, shooting it. You're now shot it. Okay. So now it's time to get it out into the festival world. You know, what's your process on that? Because that's 
that's the business of filmmaking, not necessarily filmmaking. So how do you, what's your process on choosing which film festivals, you know, how you work with them or your promotional or social media or what, what are you doing to get that big hurrah? Which is so important because you make a film, you don't want it in your desk. You or in your, in your house, you, you want it out there so people can see it and, and see what you can do. So, you know, it's funny, uh, quite a while ago, I can't think of his name, and he did a lot of programming for festivals, and I can't think of his name. He was a great, he, he still is a great guy, and uh, he does something that he does all this uh, scene about different festivals, what is good for different films, because you might have a, a great film, but these festivals are better for a different type. Maybe they're more horror or they're more for whatever. So you have to really know uh, which festivals suit your film and and which are good festivals because you're going to invest PR. You're going to invest um, all your cards and your, your flyers or your movie posters and everything that you need and you're going to... If it's to fly there, you're going to fly there. You're going to stay somewhere. So you really have to PR it. Don't just, I think, don't just plop yourself down in a film festival. Uh, I think you have to do your work. And, and right, and you have to um, do as much as you can, have interviews. Uh, sometimes you can call the PR people that are with that festival and see if your PR person can do a marriage of that and do interviews and uh, so your your job is not over because you got in a festival. You got to do work. So and it's a pleasure because you're working on your film to put it out there. And thank God you have a festival to put it in. That's right. I mean, uh, for those that are listening, and what she's what she's talking about is festival targeting. So you look at your entity, whatever your entity is, and let's say it's more family oriented, then you're going to target out the film festivals that have family content. And then out of that big list, you're going to narrow it down to festivals that are ideally five years or older, because festivals, the first year, 75% of them don't make it to the second year. And out of that those that survive to five years don't actually, 80% of those don't make it to the six years. So that one to five year is a volatile festival market, so to speak. Uh, but she's talking about festival targeting and making sure that your entity matches the festival. So it increases your likelihood of getting selected. Exactly. Because, you know, this is a lot of competition. So it's not that easy to get into a festival. And then after you do get in, like I said, your job just started. you Got to do as much as you can do to PR your film and the festival. So the entities that you are creating, these short films that have won international uh, successes at film festivals all over the world, did you make them as proof of concepts? Did you make them to highlight just your directorial you know, prowess? What was your focus when you were making these shorts? In all my work, I've done uh, uh, one-woman shows, I've done webisodes, I've done all that. In all my work, there's a through line of a sense of humanity and a sense of 
people that aren't in the mainstream. And uh, one with uh, the disabled uh, population, one was an uh, interracial love story that happened way back in the South years ago. And then they separated and then came together, hopefully. And so I like to do what I think people need to know more about. And uh, like I say, a sense of humanity and people that are not in the mainstream. Let's talk about your series that you're developing. So did that come from one of your shorts? Did that, was that a separate idea altogether? You know, I did the short waiting for Ronald about um, an adult who leaves the facility that he lived in most of his life. He finally leaves to meet his best friend who used to be in the facility and they start their new life being out in the world. Well, I loved it. And I also had a blended cast of some that were disabled and some weren't. I like to mix it together. Everyone loved the characters so much and I didn't want to stop them. So I went ahead and did the series about these two characters out in the world, living in the apartment house, mm -hmm. the other people in the apartment house, and what they go through to get a job, to, to do anything. And so, uh, uh, and I enjoyed writing it so much the pilot and then the episodic ideas, the episode ideas. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it was based on Waiting for Ronald. So for those listening in, she's she's taken her short, which is a proof of concept, and then developed it into a long-form series. So uh, are you currently pitching this? How are you you know going about in development for this? Are you in the funding aspect of this or the pitching to studios aspect? I'm pitching, uh, and I'm pitching to agents also, because now mm -hmm. I have uh, two features and a series, so uh, it would be nice to get an agent that also helps me pitch, you know, but I will pitch anyway, so. Okay, if you had your dream uh, where it would land, uh, are you looking at an SVOD platform, you know, Hulu, Amazon, Netflix, or are you looking at broadcast ABC, NBC, CBS, CW? No. Okay. The other. <laughs> Hulu, Netflix. Net, excellent, yeah. excellent. What do you see as you know, the business right now with women over the age of 30. Let's talk about that just briefly. You know, like I said about Greenlight Women, I was so fortunate to get in that organization because that's exactly what it is. It's women that are still working, still writing, still directing, still trying to get a directing work, still in the biz, but trying to go onward, no matter how old they are, it's difficult. There's no way to say it except it's difficult. You know, I think you just have to keep believing in your projects and keep on trucking. But, you know, I have to tell you something. I went to see, um, where was I? I think I was at William Morris, and they were having a screening of some show. So I was there, my friends were there, and then a friend of mine who was uh, a manager was sitting next to me. And uh, we were talking and he said, well, what are you doing now? And I told him about just something normal. And he said this, you'll get a kick out of this. He goes, oh, don't go in and pitch. Have someone young go in and pitch and pretend that <laughs> he said, no, no. And he was trying to save me from, you know, uh, 
And then the, don't, don't pitch. And it was like this. Don't go in and pitch. No, no, it's a death wish. He said, get someone young, like in their 20s, to pitch. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a story that was told to me by an agent that I interviewed on this podcast. Um, so they had a very successful writer who wrote, who was a male who wrote these uh features that were teen, female teen driven features, right? And they solicited it around town, couldn't get it sold. So he changed the title, put on his daughter's name, who was 20 or 19, I think actually, 19 at the time, and then sent it around town again under the daughter's name, got it got five pitch meetings like this. She went into the first pitch meeting because she was trained by her dad to pitch this properly, right? Went in, pitched it, and they bought it on the spot. They then called the agent saying, hey, we want this. And, you know, at that point, she had to disclose, well, hey, it wasn't written by her. It was written by him. Now, they were not so happy <laughs> at all. But the reason they picked it up was because of her and the content. Like they wrote it off when it was a male over the age of 40 writing a teen point of view film. But when it was pitched by a younger girl, it was like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. Isn't that something? It's terrible, but it's the truth. It's terrible, but it's the truth. What do you really and what can you tell us on? operating the business of acting, the business of filmmaking, what have you done to to propel yourself on, on securing jobs? What's your networking? You know, what do you do on the business side to to get yourself out there? I do have some some people that I know that have production companies and some are agents for, for literary agents. And so I go to them first. I go to them first because I know them and I know they're going to tell me honestly what they feel. It's not going to be that they never get back to me, which does happen a lot. So, um, right to everybody. And, uh, so I know they'll get back to me and I know they will tell me what they think. So I, I do that first. Now I had some wonderful feedback on one of the features, and I have to go back to the drawing board. Not that I believe everything, but I felt they had some very good points, and you've got to be open to listen to that. It doesn't mean you change everything, but they may have a few things there that perhaps you need to look at and make a change. So that's what I do first, and I'm in the midst of doing that now. And then when I'm finished, then I'm going to have to pitch to people I don't know, and that's fine. But then I'll know that it's the most ready it can be. What advice do you have for young filmmakers, um, filmmakers, writers, directors, or actors, you know, coming up the ranks? What What is it that you can share from your wisdom and successes? I think that if you believe in a project, really believe in it, and you listen to feedback, some some you're not going to want at all and some you will, but be open to have it the best to maybe do another draft. Just because you wrote one draft doesn't mean it's ready. It could be, it couldn't be. And you have to really get it to the best it could be. And then you have, even if you don't know what you're doing, like I say, everyone had to start. 
I directed my first uh, film. I had never directed before. Neither did I ever go to school for directing. But I just was so close to the subject matter. And I just knew I could do it. And, um, and I think you just have to know you can do it. You might make mistakes. Who doesn't? And you doesn't that shouldn't keep you from doing it, even if you're scared. Who isn't? So it's just one of those things you keep on doing. Try to make it the best you can make it. That's I think very important. It's the tenacity that you have to have to not allow somebody to say no. You can't do it because of ageism, which is still alive and well in Hollywood. <laughs> Okay, so what is a dirty little secret of Hollywood that you wish somebody had told you and you have learned along the way that you could share with us? When you get older, you this isn't a dirty little secret, but this come to my this comes to my mind. When you get older, you really really think about all they can say is no, what's the big deal? When you're younger, sometimes you get scared. They're not going to say yes. They might say no, this, that, and the other. But as you get older, which is a good thing, you say, who the heck cares? If they say no, I go to someone else. So I just wanted to point that out, that which is good when you get older, that you have that feeling that you might not have had. Uh, which I didn't have when I was younger. That's the power of no. You know, when you're younger, you're absolutely right. People go into fear. Oh my God, rejection. They said, no, I can't do it. Whereas when you get older, you go, you know what? Take a hike. Don't care about the no. <laughs> and I'm moving on to the next one until I get yes. And, and really, it's the, it's, it's the backbone that you grow after being told no repetitively in this business, no, 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 no. You just become numb to the no until you hit the yes. Exactly. Who cares if they say no? And if you if you uh, read about people that are quite famous, believe me, they had their no's. You know, whether they're a writer or a director or whatever, they've had no's. So everybody has. So, you know, don't get caught up in that. That don't get caught up in the Hollywood thing that you're not good enough, you're too tall, you're too short, you're, you know, this is wrong, that's wrong, what's wrong with, you know, have this done to your face, have that done to your whatever. Don't buy into all of that. I want to thank you so much, Ellen, for joining us on Best in Fest. Uh, for those that want to purchase a ticket to join us virtually at the La Femme International Film Festival, go ahead. Our tickets are on sale now. If you want to submit to Best in Fest, we're going to be opening up that call for entries in uh, February of 2022. We are closed for this season. If you want to make sure that you see the video component of this, it'll be on the La Femme Film Festival YouTube channel tap in there. Uh, shout out to us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. And don't forget to write to review and uh, rank us and review us on iTunes. Ellen, is there any socials you want to give to anyone listening in to contact you, your social handles? Well, you can, you could go to my website and you could go to my Instagram and uh, Ellen Gerstein, follow me and see what I'm doing and what projects I'm working on. That would be great. Excellent. 
Leslie, I've had a wonderful time. Oh, I'm so glad. So did I. Tell us again that organization for women over the age of 40. And if you want to share your writing coach for those listening in, do that as well. Oh, good. Jamie uh, Becker, a girl, J-A-I-M-E Becker. She's wonderful. And I have a script already written. And then uh, she came in to help me. But she's unbelievable. Oh, yes. Green Light Women. You have to apply for it. But if you go to Green Light Women, it will tell you everything about it, who they are, what they do. And there are women there that have big names and have been doing this forever and will continue to do forever. Excellent. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Best and Fest with Ellen Gerstein. Thank you. 